Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It takes a pandemic. Okay, you fill in the rest. For instance, it takes a pandemic for me to finally clean out my desk. Right, um, it takes a pandemic to start reading that pile of New Yorkers. Uh, it takes a pandemic for me to finally learn to fake. Well, for audiences of live performance, it takes a pandemic to cherish our actors and musicians. With our great jazz venues and theaters closed, live performance has stopped. But actors and musicians continue to create. They have to. It's who they are. For this Hunker Down podcast, I talk with these artists who perform for a living about how social distancing is affecting their work now and when this is all over. About their dedication to the art of live performance. Okay, this Hunker Down episode is a little bit different. Not talking with an actor or a musician, but with a Houston middle school teacher, a blogger, now a book author. It seems pretty clear that like a traditional performer, a teacher has an audience and now doesn't have a stage. So, there you go. Kelly Trelevin has lived in Houston most of her life. She began teaching in 2010 and for her first five years, she taught in a Title I middle school. Kelly began her blog, Love Teach, to work through her classroom problems and to keep her family informed as to her progress. Love Teach has become a most popular blog, 75,000 readers, and some of the posts have had millions of readers, and she has a large Facebook and Twitter following. Miss Trelevin just published a book of her experiences to help beginning teachers. It's called Love Teach, Real Stories and Honest Advice to Keep Teachers from Crying Under Their Desks. Yeah, I always tell my students it's tr 9, tr 10, tr 11. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, that's good. This is my podcast debut. Get so. out. Yeah. Are you really nervous? I probably should be more nervous, but oh, I'm doing okay. Oh, yes. Get nervous. <laughs> As you can see, this is a this is a really big yeah, deal. Yeah, I get ner- nervous. Who knows what? Who knows what I'll reveal if I'm nervous? So. Well, if you reveal something <laughs> too, you know, undercover, we can always edit. Yeah, uh, there was something I was just going to say. Oh, I know. Congratulations on your marriage. Thank you. Just got married, Thank and you, you were honeymooning. I know out at Big Ben in Texas. How was that? Oh, How- it was great. We rented a campsite for twenty five dollars mm-hmm. and had a photographer meet us out there and it was just my parents and my now husband and our officiant and uh, my best friend and we just it was I mean it was gorgeous. There's mountains and the sun was going down and there wasn't like it was it was truly just us. So um, I'm excited to get the pictures back. I think they'll be pretty incredible, but. We were actually supposed to get married in Paris in March. Oh, um, that would have been nice. That, we were supposed to fly out the day of the travel ban. Uh, so we were 
we would have i mean if we had made it over like everything would have been shut down so you would have been I'm stuck kind of glad that that didn't work but yeah yes. you would have been stuck yes. out there yeah yeah we were having a houston there's a problem issue with latency so kelly tried reconnecting and when she returned she described how she was handling social distancing in Texas. I mean, there's good and bads to this that we don't rely on public transport. So it's kind of easy to insulate ourselves a little bit easier. We're doing okay. It's just really hot. So really, what's the temperature? We're starting to get to the time of year. I mean, it's been up to or a little bit over 100 degrees the past couple weeks. Holy moly. And we are just stepping into summer here. So So you're getting yeah, along. You I get that. Everyone is well. Um husband, parents are doing yeah. okay. Texas is starting to open up now, right? You're starting to get uh, people are able to go out to restaurants and get their hair cut and do kind of normal things. Are you worried about that or not? I am worried, Alan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I'm a little confused on our state's leadership right now. We, <laughs> I feel like the evidence is, I mean, Houston and Texas, our coronavirus numbers have just shot up and we just continue to get announcements of like, all right, more things are open. My husband is a district attorney in Houston and they're like, we would love if y'all would come in the office next week. And I'm like, what, yeah. what is happening here? Um, just week also the Texas education agency, I guess, or maybe it was the governor announced we will be returning to schools in the fall and, Yikes. you know, teachers are just kind of scrat scratching their heads. Like how, how are we going to do that? We'll see. We'll see how yeah. this works out, but. So you are a, um, so you're a teacher, um, and you've been a teacher now mm -hmm. since 2010, 2011? 2010, yes. Yeah. So I'll be going into my 11th year in the fall. That's right. So, I mean, my wife and I were also teachers, and we've been teaching a lot longer than that. And uh, you, you, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're kind of a newbie, <laughs> but you seem to know a lot. How did you decide to get into teaching? I know you reveal some of that in your book. So I graduated in 2009 um, and I had really wanted to go into publishing and that was my plan all along. And then when I graduated, that was, it wasn't the height of the recession, but it was just after it. And most publishing place, places had canceled their uh, internships that year. So I was left, you know, actually I'd been accepted to a couple of the internship programs and then they'd disbanded. And so I was like, how do I get an entry level job with no <laughs> experience? But then I, I started thinking and, you know, my parents had said, you could always teach. And I love kids. I love learning. I love literature. And I was like, you know, this, this would be great. It, it was never something that I, I thought, oh, I'll never do that. But it just, it wasn't on my radar and then when I started teaching, you know, realized, oh my gosh, this is, my teachers made it look easy, but this, <laughs> this is a really hard gig. I just kind of realized that the narrative that's out there about teaching and being a teacher is that it's, that it's easy. And that's partly because teachers aren't allowed to talk about what it's really like. And we can get in trouble for saying that hard or that teaching is hard at this particular school 
you don't mention the schools that you've you've worked in. I don't mention them. You know, I I imagine there's ways of <laughs> looking them up, but yeah. I I made sure to not use any real names in my book. You say uh, early in in the book, or maybe I picked it up from one of you, from one of your blog posts, is that uh, teaching broke you, and then you built yourself up again. It almost sounds like the Marines. My my son was in the Marines. He uses the same. Yeah. Ex- he says they break you and then they rebuild you. Or but there you hear you're rebuilding yeah. yourself. The system's not rebuilding you. You need mm-hmm. to do it yourself. Can you talk about that. I think the system doesn't really care a whole lot about teachers and their well being. I I think that it. Oh yeah, I could go into a lot on that, but I think I came into teaching with really a lot of privileged and naive ideas about education and, you know, oh, I'm just going to come in there and kids are going to love me and love equals blind obedience. And, uh, you know, I'm just going <laughs> to do everything. I you mean, say. there's so many Hollywood narratives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so many Hollywood narratives out there too, about white savior character just coming into these schools and turning their lives around and all it took was like Michelle Pfeiffer's character in Dangerous Minds she just passes out candy bars and then you know re remodels the whole school and I got in and realized that it does not work like that and there's a lot more work to be done than I thought there's a lot of work on myself that needs to be done and that work has made me into a different person and I think I say in the book, there there are parts of that old person that I still miss. Um, I feel like I had a lot more patience <laughs> back then. And now I'm kind of more, I'll call it as I see it. But there, there's good things about that too. I, I put up with too much what the person I was before. So yeah, yeah the, envi- the environment I'm a different us. person, but it's, it's a better person. Why is it so important to have good teachers? It, you know... We spend, we do a good deal of raising children in our job. Something that I think I've been thinking about a lot lately with the Black Lives Matter movement and all these things you see on social media about look at this overtly racist person, look at this, you know, covertly racist person. And I think, you know, that person was probably a student in our school for 12 years. And we had 12 years to mold minds and open students' eyes to a wide range of experiences. And clearly we didn't. With our time with kids, it's so intentional. And we spend so much intentional time with them every day that we have such power to get kids to recognize things about themselves that they may not have recognized things about the greater world that they may not have with their parents. And I'm not discounting work that parents do. I'm not, and I would never compare that work, but there's just so much that happens in a school day beyond just our curriculum where we can, we can expand a child's mind and influence the way that they see themselves in the world. In the world, in our country, in their place in our country, and what the country right. could be. Yeah, I mean, all, all of that. You uh, started blogging about your teaching experiences in 2011, and you have um, developed a very successful blog with uh, tens of thousands of listeners. Sometimes you said 
some of your blogs have gotten a million uh, uh, reads. So you, you, why did you start <laughs> Love Teach? And are you still doing it? I started because I actually graduated early from my university. And so when I started teaching, my friends were still in school. And so I was like the one lone person out there with a job. So everyone was asking me like, oh, what is it like out there? Oh, are you loving teaching? Is it so much fun? I bet you have so many great stories. And I was, I was so miserable. Like six, I started blogging six weeks into my school year and it was just a way to keep my family and my friends aware of what was going on without having to repeat my sob stories over and over. Cause I just felt like I was failing all the time. So I started this blog and it was anonymous. And I think, you know, a part of me must have understood that I wanted more people to read that. My family and friends, you know, nobody ever, I think even people that write diaries secretly hope they'll be published one day (laughs) for more people to read them. And so other teachers started reading and following and and I heard more and more that this was a shared experience across the country and even in different countries. Um, a lot of teachers from the UK and Australia experience this similar things. Yeah, and I just I noticed that we had the same frustrations about like systemic problems in education and the same love for our students. And I think that's what separates me from a lot of a lot of education bloggers is they'll be missing one or the other. Like they'll be, some people will be popular because they're Pollyanna and they only talk teaching looking perfect and wonderful. And look at this beautiful picture of my classroom. And then people on the other side of the spectrum will be popular because they just complain. And I, I feel like I, I kind of offer people both. Like I love this job so much that I refuse to talk about it being perfect um, so yeah. You talk about it in very real ways, in very connected ways, and really you are connected to your emotions and also you're connected to your comic <laughs> comedy bone too. It's a very attractive blog. I love the visuals that you have in it. And um it's just so easy to go Thank to you. and get into it. And uh, I recommend it. Love uh teach by Kelly Trelevin. So I, I wanted to kind of focus on some of the themes in the blog, and pretty much your book follows a lot of the stuff that's in the blog. Um, so uh, I think we mm-hmm. can get we can get uh, uh, the Trelevin treatment from the book, and we can also get it from the blog. <laughs> um, so um, you and you've already started talking about this. Some aspect of your teaching that you love is that you you say I work for my students. Students are great. Enjoy working with other teachers, uh, even with the parents community. I mean, all that stuff is good, but then, and mm-hmm. you've started to talk about this, and I wonder if you get into it more, the structure, the thing that holds it all together, the system that tells you what to do and how mm-hmm. to do it, that is not so enjoyable. One of the problems is that we're seeing, and, and we've seen teachers frustrated with a lot of things for decades now, um, teachers having to take on two, three jobs to be able to raise a family, um, you know, or to make ends meet. Teachers not having adequate health care. Teachers just burning out because we can't take care of ourselves with um, the, the workload that we have. And rather than 
have states listen to teachers and say, yikes, we're experiencing teacher shortage. All these great teachers are leaving in droves. We really need to listen to the, you know, we need to listen to teachers' needs and and kind of do what they're asking to create better environments. We instead have states, and this is literally every state has a teacher shortage, either right now or as of a year ago, but it's definitely in the majority. And they are responding not by improving conditions, which would require a lot of money and effort, but to just make it easier to become a teacher. So they lower the standards required to become a teacher. And then we have unqualified teachers entering the workforce and teachers who aren't passionate about what they do and are just looking for a paycheck. So then we have our great qualified teachers leaving teaching because they want to take care of themselves. We have more people entering the workforce who are unqualified to become teachers. And then we we have people losing respect for teachers because they might have unqualified ones or, you know, they'll hear stories from their friends about, did you hear what this teacher over there did? And yeah, it's frustrating. And that's just for teachers. But we see, we see the same thing happening, like on behalf of our students, we'll say, hey, we could really, we would love if we could get these things, we would love if we could limit standardized testing and Um, all these other things that would be beneficial to our students and they'll respond with, oh, okay, you know, we totally hear you. So what we'll do is, you know, five standardized tests instead of seven, or (laughs) (laughs) we'll, you know, write this policy that now you have to provide, uh, provide, you know, just a crazy amount of documentation in order to fail a student. And we're like, that's not what we were, (laughs) not what we were looking for. So it just, it seems to be a system that claims to value education and in the same breath, make it unbelievably hard for us. And yeah. I'm frustrated and tired of it. Yeah. And I don't want it anymore. It, it <laughs> seems like we, we need a cultural change. I mean, like a really, not yes. just policy changes, not well, we'll fix that, fix that. We need a way of changing the way we think about the teacher as an important part of our society Absolutely. rather than the you know, the investor or the capitalist or the, uh, you know, yeah. we, we need to think about, yes. yeah, the person that is taking care of our children, um, as, mm-hmm. as you say. And not uh, not a short order cook. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, we, we need to honor our short order cooks, too. But uh, but certainly yes. our certainly our, our, our teachers. I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. You worked for your first five years. God bless you in a Title I middle school. What is a Title I middle school? Yeah, so Title I schools are schools that receive additional federal funding for having a certain percentage of students on free and reduced lunch. So there's going to be a higher percentage of students in areas affected by poverty. Um, I loved my time teaching in those schools. But again, like, like I show in my book, it... I had to choose between, okay, do I, I love these kids fiercely and I love my job and what I do. I love my time in the classroom with them, but I'm not taking care of myself. I was super unhealthy and burned out and nobody could, nobody could tell me what to do about that. And I, I, I realized in a moment where I saw, okay, I either have to not work as hard and be a mediocre teacher to these kids, or I have to leave. Um, Like I have to 
do something else. And I hated those options. Um, so that, that's another thing that I try to make clear in the book is that, you know, until we change this system, we like, we are so afraid of teachers burning out and of, of leaving their jobs. And I'm like, sometimes it has to happen. And I'm excited about the teachers out there that are fired up and ready to go into these schools and do good work. But at the same time, I'm worried about them. Um, you, uh, you, you described yourself, um, at some period, I mean, back in 2016 post that you use, I love you come up with these terms. You call yourself mega sad and that you were really in a, in a funk. You stuck it out for a few years after that. Um, no, I guess, I guess that's about the time that you, that you left the title one, uh, environment 2016. Yeah. 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 That's sounds about right. You work with young teens, but I love your description of, of the young teen as being unapologetic, having a fierce strength, they're raw and vulnerable all at the same time. And I think that's really an apt description, having raised a, a, a young teenagers and seeing them go through this. It's tough dealing with that age group, isn't yeah. it? The 14, 15-year-olds. And then on top of it, they're poor and they're from impoverished neighborhoods and yeah, it's got to be difficult. I mean, there's a difficulty to teenagers at, at any school. Um, I was visiting with a friend yesterday and her almost teenage son just came up to us while we were talking and was like, mom, Caleb needs to trim his toenails. Look, and, you know, showed her his leg and then stomped off because I guess he had his talons had scratched him. And she was like, I, she just looked at me like, I don't know what to do with him at that age. And I just love it. Like I, I, that, that quote that you read, that's actually from something that Dr. Amy Fast on Twitter had said. And I, I quote her in my book. What's so great about teenagers is they just have no filter. They will, they feel everything so deep and so hard and they just will let you know how they feel right then. They're just little tornadoes of people. I Now I teach at a school um, for highly gifted students. Our district, um, in a move that I think is really admirable, they created a special charter school. Like uh, a, It's a public school in our district, but we created it for our highly gifted students. And, you know, I, I teach all day, the kids that are the, the boundary pushers and the loophole finders and the ones who are like, you have a typo on your PowerPoint and I need to recognize that right now, you know, so there's, um, there's challenges with that too. And, um, I think, I think sometimes people think like, oh, you know, coming from title one school, that must've been, harder for all of these reasons and and it is and it isn't what I what I've found is that my job isn't easy at my new school but it's it's manageable because I don't have to do the work of a counselor and a social worker and a you know all these other things that I'm just not qualified to do so I get to just focus on being a teacher and uh that's what I I wish for teachers in in every school, including the Title I schools. I, I just wanted to uh, cover just one other thing that you had posted about in, in your blog, Love Teach, about the mm-hmm. misconceptions of Title I schools. Um, and I, yes. found, I found it um, quite interesting. I picked out a few of the misconceptions is that 
one, you're always dealing with difficult parents. Students steal stuff. And then the recommendation, you know, don't send your kids to, to this kind of school because you're not going to get a good education. And you have a comeback for each one of those. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about one or two of them? about these misconceptions? Well, one kind of ties into something that you had emailed me about, which is the idea of safety in these schools and thinking like, oh, you, you know, you teach at so-and-so school across the highway. Like you're so brave for putting yourself in an unsafe situation. And that's just, that's just, it's just not true. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think we see that the gun violence in schools is almost entirely perpetrated in white, wealthier areas. Um, and I've never, I've, I mean, I felt unsafe at school before, but it's been in every school I've ever worked at. And it's never been a constant. A lot of that fear is just fear of the other and a little bit based in racism sometimes. 2015, you wrote, uh, you had an op-ed in the Washington Post, and I just want to congratulate you on the pressures of teaching in high-need schools. And I read it, and it was very, you know, Thank impressive. You. And again, it was, as all your writing, it's very, it's close to the bone. It's real. Um, it <laughs> sounds like you. And one of the reasons I wanted to meet you was because I heard your voice in your writing, and now I get to hear it in my ear. So, so congratulations Thank on that. Thank you. Let's explore some of your posts and some of the themes that you cover, because um, you do have themes. Mm -hmm. One is your enormous hatred of standardized tests. And you've already mentioned standardized tests, <laughs> that you have to monitor hours and hours. And whether you have to monitor five of them or seven of them, they still sound awful. Could, can you tell us talks about yes. that? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a sad a sad time of year when we have to do that. But I mean, the actual test day is miserable because you can't, you can't zoom out. I can't read a book. I can't do a crossword puzzle. Like so many other times in your life, when you think you're bored, you can be on your phone or you can even just like let your mind, work. but standardized testing. I mean, it's so insulting that uh, you know, I'm supposed to be this highly qualified educator and I'm just like pacing the, <laughs> <laughs> the floor watching students take a test and um I mean I'm complaining about it they're the ones having to do this whole battery of standardized testing um but yeah we you know it, this goes back to a systemic issue too of people expecting teachers to do to work miracles and to teach students critical thinking and why do we have all these kids that can't think and it's like well because you told us that we had to get them to memorize the answers to these multiple choice questions. And they can't opt out of these tests? I mean, because some schools I know in New York City, they can opt out. They can at a certain level. Um, I know that it's highly discouraged because districts want to be able to report back that their kids are learning. I don't know. I don't I don't know ins and outs of everything, but I know that at a certain point, you know, they, they can't opt out because they, that's how you have to prove, I know whatever subject it is in high school. But yeah, yeah it's yeah. frustrating. <laughs> uh, another, another term that you uh, came up with, which also deals with frustration, seems like a lot of your blogs deal with this frustration. I think it's good that you talk about it. I think that's one of the reasons people probably like yeah. your blogs, because it's like, yeah, yeah, we're, it's frustrating, is Devosin. Am I saying this right? Devosin? Yes. Dark Devolson. Evil Vortex of yeah. Late September, October, and November. 
Tell us yes. about Devosin. Oh, you know, I was thinking about the, that the other day because I was like, oh my gosh, Devolson in distance learning is going to be so ugly. Yeah, so this is a time of year I recognized it my second year of teaching and I was like, gosh, this time of year is so hard. What is it? And I was talking to an older teacher in the copy room and I was like, is this time of year always this hard? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I've been teaching for 40 years and it's, I'm always miserable this time of year. And so then when I started writing about it and telling other teachers, they were like, oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. Why is it so hard? So then I started thinking about it and I was like, you know, we are coming off of a summer break and just running full speed into a marathon. We have all this paperwork for beginning of the year stuff. We have, you know, kids who have been on their best behavior the first few weeks of school and then are starting to be like, okay, I'm tired of <laughs> trying. <laughs> I'm tired of trying. And um, yeah, it's just a perfect storm of emotions and fatigue and paper and and also feeling like oh my gosh we don't have a break until thanksgiving which yeah schools need to have a, a week of fall break i feel like in addition to spring break but like um being able to name devolson being able to diagnose it and having this you know silly made up word it, it honestly feels like it takes a lot of the stress off to be able to say, oh, you know what? I locked myself out of my car, not because I'm dumb, but because it's Devolson right now. So, And that was a great story, too. I recommend people going about your story being locked out of the car. <laughs> and it, the, the three seconds it took for the guy to do it and charging you $50. So, oh, yeah. Dark yeah. Evil Vortex of Late September, October, November. You also have posts which you title comic posts. And I just, I, I just, and they all deal with numbers. A lot of your posts deal with seven of this, 26 of this. Um, and then oh, you, you kind of yeah, list yeah. them, which is list a lot of fun. <laughs> so uh, some of them that I listed was seven gorgeous poems for you to feed your secondary students. 26 things that would happen if I ran a school. 13 things mm -hmm. I was wrong <laughs> and right about my first year. Seven alternatives committing arson when the copier jams for the 40 zillionth time. You just talked about meeting an older uh, <laughs> professor, uh, uh, a teacher in the copy room. I guess a lot of things happening in the copy yeah. room. 19 things I learned this year that I'm too tired to explain. <laughs> That's very funny. Um, five dinners you can make during testing season that aren't good for you, but are probably better than fast food, maybe, and don't involve chopping. I hate chopping, too. Those must yes. be a lot of fun to write. You know, once you decide that there are no rules, you can just write whatever you want. And that's a that's a good old time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, there's also, um, you come up with 11 teaching memes that make me feel weird. And I also recommend this one because if you're a teacher, <laughs> you get it. And I'm, I'm just going to read some. And then if you remember what your response was, I think they're priceless. So here's here's one sure. meme. And they're just basically words with flowers around the sides of them and stuff, right? There's, they're, they're really not mm -hmm. that clever. But the one meme is, to the world, you may be just a teacher, but to your students, you're a hero. Respond? <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't like that one because it's like, hey, all of society views you as low totem pole 
you dummy, but you're <laughs> the children in your classroom who don't know anything think you're great. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I mean, you're saying that, but there's there's kind of there's a truth to that. And I think there's yeah. the thing that makes it funny is that there's a truth to that. You may be just a teacher, but to your to your, you know, 6-year-old student, <laughs> you know, kids, you're a hero. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. <laughs> No, you people sh- that don't know anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another one. They may forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Your comeback, I, I, I typed it out, but do you remember what your comeback was? Yes. I would like for them to not forget what I said. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and then you wrote, you wrote another version of this, and it's much longer. It wouldn't fit on a meme, but it says, quote, they may forget uh-huh. your name, what you look like, everything you taught them. They may forget your entire personality and that you're a sentient being. They may forget having ever stepped foot in your classroom. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's the whole thing. That doesn't, doesn't go any further. Wow, I'm that. so funny. <laughs> you are. You're funny. You're funny. You made me laugh any, any number of times. Thank you. Right. Um, and then there's the one about collab- uh, uh, teachers becoming collapsing bridges and and then teachers not in it oh, for yeah. the in teachers not in it for the income, in it for the outcome. I went. Oh. Yes. Uh, yeah. Like, it's like you so know. So many things wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then one more. You said uh, fourteen reasons why I will die alone, and now you're married. <laughs> so that one didn't work out. And now I'm married. Yeah. I know. So I guess yeah. I better delete it. Yeah, better delete that one or add it. Add <laughs> it a... is really hard. I've noticed though for teachers, to, I've known a lot of teachers that struggle with that just because we're so tired nine months of the year, and the idea of going on dates after a full day of teaching <laughs> is just miserable. So how did you meet this wonderful <laughs> lawyer of yours? Oh, well, um, we met on Bumble. Do you know what that is? No. I haven't dated okay, in a hundred years. It's a dating years. app. Well, if you had to start dating next week for some reason, there's an app called Bumble where the girl has to make the move. Um, mm. So it's kind of a reversal of the traditional dating format. And so I saw that he liked the Office TV show on his profile. And I quoted one of the main characters in my opening line. And that just, did it. Wow. Hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> right. The theme from the office is now your your song. Your your, it's it's like we every couple oh, has their yeah, own song. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Slow dance to that wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Just a couple more questions. One, how do you think? And you sure. kind of referred to this earlier. How do you think our schools will be changing due to this experience of the pandemic? Uh, you're you're you've probably already experienced teaching online. Uh, do you like it? Is and mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I know you don't want to go there, but you don't want to go back to the school either. So, what, what's going to happen in yeah. Houston in in the fall? That is a great question. That's a question I would like to ask the Texas Education Agency. Mm-hmm. I think what we're going to be seeing is a lot of districts uh, finding finding creative solutions. Hopefully that that lessen the risk of exposure. I've heard about districts thinking about doing like um, half of this, half of the school's population come to school on one day 
then they're home the next day, then they come back the day after that and they, you know, switch off with the other 50%. That sounds like the best idea I've heard so far if we are insistent on getting back in schools. Because I mean, I just I think that's a good solution in general. It kind of keeps class size smaller. I mean, not not really, because at the end of the day, we still have um, you know, most teachers in middle schools have between 125 and 200 students, but you at least meet with them in a smaller group, which is good. Um, I think it might help with students who are doing work at home, helping to take care of siblings and um, also just giving them a little bit more rest to, um, it, I mean, it's so much easier for them to burn out with this trying to learn during a pandemic as well. It'll give them more time to, to, you know, do work and maybe meet with teachers through zoom. So I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic, (laughs) but um, yeah, I, I do worry about our population who already before the pandemic weren't given equal opportunities. And then now um, are, you know, we're, we're talking about, options that might further um, give them less than they do. So I like the 50% school model. I just, I just get frustrated when the conversation seems to be, you know, well, well, kids are the least at risk population. And it's like, um, but I am not a child. And, you know, I, I, and a lot of other teachers, have exposure yeah are exposed to people who are older and have health risks you know a, a colleague that um I used to work with had really bad asthma and she's at risk and she's young like me and so I just I'll be interested to see how these conversations go but you know we also in this are dealing with a whole lot of people that feel like they're above wearing masks and so I'm like, okay, well, do you get to send your kid to school without a mask because it's against your religion as a patriot? I don't know. <laughs> um, so I'm worried worried yeah. about a lot of things, but I, I really trust my district. Um, I think that they have done as good a job as they can in this situation. They were one of the first districts to roll out buses to apartment complexes with Wi-Fi capabilities so that our, our students in apartments um, with Wi-Fi could uh, connect for a few hours a day. Yeah. I think they're, I trust my district. I don't trust every district. Okay. I'll just put All it right. that way. What is your summer reading list for your students? I didn't actually do one this summer. I thought it was important. Like my kids are kind of voracious readers um, and I, I was like, you know what, this summer, just let just rest, <laughs> like, just let your brain recharge a little bit. But just before break, one of my classes had been reading, um, Warriors Don't Cry by Melba Below Beals. She was one of the Little Rock Nine. It was really powerful for my students to read her memoir. Um, and then a few of them have eaten me as we see the, this matter movement going on to say, oh my gosh, I, I, it's crazy to see what we read about, you know, still filing into what we're seeing today. So um, I would probably have my students, oh, sorry, back to your question. Before we left, I had each of my students out two books from 
my library and I wish I'd had them pick like five or six (laughs) knowing how long we'd be gone. But I think more than anything during this time, I just want them to know the joy of reading for fun and reading as an escape and reading for stories of, you know, reading almost as a treatment, like um, feeling like, you know, I feel, I feel like I need a story of hope. I'm going to read this book or I, I really need an escape. I really need to read something that's not about a dystopia or a bad, you know, (laughs) ineffective government. I'm going to read this fantasy that, you know, has top gear or whatever. So yeah, I just want them to, to know reading as more than an assignment. And that's, that's going to be my focus, I think, until we're, out of COVID times. <laughs> yeah. My wife was reading Wonder to her students who are much younger than yours. And I would sit there. Oh, she I would, love she, Wonder. She, oh, yeah. She read it on the couch because she was doing it online. And I would sit and listen and just <laughs> cry and laugh. And Oh, it, yeah. It, the chapter about the dog, I just can yeah. never get through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So literature that helps us get through it. Maybe, you know, good feeling literature. Kelly Kelly Trelevin, thank you very much for uh, joining us for Hunkered (laughs) Hunkered Down, a blogger, a teacher, and now um, a writer of a a book, which is the same title as your your blog, Love Teach, Real Stories and Honest Advice to Keep Teachers from Crying Under Their Desks. And I wish you a lot of luck with that that book. I've been enjoying reading it. And I've been enjoying reading your blog too, and recommending it to my good. to I'm my so wife glad. teacher. So thank you, Kelly. Oh, good. Well, I super enjoyed our conversation. Uh, if you ever get to New York City, we'll take you yeah. out for a beer at our favorite uh, beer joint. Oh, uh, I would love that. And we'll extend our conversation. Sounds good. Thank you, Kelly. So much, Alan. Stay safe. Oh, you too. Okay, bye bye. You've been listening to the Hunker Down podcast. Conversations with actors and musicians about their lives on stage during a pandemic. If you have any questions or suggestions, please contact us at Upper West Side Radio at gmail.com. That's one word, Upper West Side Radio at gmail.com.